that David wrote uh, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech who drove him away and he left. This psalm, like a number of David's psalms, is an acrostic with each uh, verse in the original Hebrew starting with uh, successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. We, of course, miss that in the English, uh, but it gives it a poetic context. Psalm chapter 34 and verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek good and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, before I uh, look um, and we look together at this wonderful psalm, uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, it is living and active, and you speak to us through it. So we pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds today as we reflect on this era of David's life of great turmoil uh, when he felt uh, forsaken and, and afraid and isolated. Uh, please may it be a blessing to us this morning, particularly in dark times, we pray. Amen. Uh, I grew up by uh, singing a song in my Sunday school, uh, which went something like this. Uh, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Just join in when you feel free. If you're happy and you know it, and you really want to show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, stamp your feet. All right, you get the idea. So, uh, a great song which uh, encapsulates uh, a good truth, uh, and we love it, and we still do. But, of course, you don't have to remain in short trousers for very long before you realize that there are often times in life when we are unhappy, and we know it. Uh, life is not always happy, and there are times when we will feel, a bit like David in this psalm, uh, stressed, uh, 
hemmed in on every side and forsaken. And of course, if our Christianity only can speak to us in times when we are happy and we know it, then it's not going to really serve us well in those times in life when things are dark. Uh, Thankfully, this is not the case. And it's clear from this psalm that has been read to us that God is with us in the dark times. The first thing we see, that this is a psalm for the brokenhearted. Uh, As verse 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You see, the psalm is written primarily for those who are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, rather than for those who are just happy and know it and want to clap their hands and stamp their feet. And that is good news for us this morning, given that the experience of brokenheartedness and loss of a loved one, or whatever it be, often go hand in hand in life. Uh, Some people mistakenly think that the Bible is just about uh, saintly people that float through life high above any of the ups and downs, uh, like an airliner cruising at 30,000 meters above the mountains. But that is not true. That is a myth. Uh, The Bible is about real people with real problems living in a fallen, broken, fractured world. Uh, David, who wrote this psalm, uh, is a case in point. Uh, When he says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, he's speaking from his heart, from his own personal experience. He definitely knew what it meant to be brokenhearted. As we saw from the title of the psalm, which sets the context, uh, this refers to a time in David's life which we had read to us in that passage from 1 Samuel. Uh, He had been told that he would be king, but of course uh, Saul becomes jealous of him and tries to kill him, and he has to flee for his life, and he's on the run, and he has to leave behind his security and his friends and his family. Uh, He's so desperate that he ends up in enemy territory uh, in the Philistines. It's a bit like if you're President Trump uh, going in disguise to Kabul. Imagine that. And so it is that David is in this enemy territory uh, taking refuge amongst the Philistine people and his life is hanging by a thread. And his future seems to be in tatters. Uh, He was alone. He felt isolated. He was fearful and anxious. Uh, Brokenheartedness was for him an experience he could relate to very deeply. And so therefore, you see, the world of the Bible is the real world. Uh, It's not an academic uh, treatise written from some ivory tower. Its pages are wet with tears and blood. And because of that, it is relevant to us at times like this, like no other book. Many of the Psalms are ultimately fulfilled in the experience of Jesus. Uh, David's experience of brokenheartedness foreshadowed Jesus' experience of brokenheartedness. Uh, Jesus would have known this Psalm, and Jesus would have drawn strength from this Psalm when he himself was brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. Interestingly, the word crushed is elsewhere used twice, 
And in each case, it's speaking of Jesus on the cross. As Jesus hung there, as Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, his heart was broken and his spirit was crushed at a level which we cannot relate to. He was, as we sing, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Jesus knows about being brokenhearted. Uh, in preparing, I found this uh, interesting statement by somebody who had traveled the world and seen many different cultures and religions. And he said this, I have entered uh, many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha. His legs are crossed, his arms are folded, his eyes closed. A ghost of a smile plays round his mouth, a remote look on his face. He is detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I have to turn away. And in my imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and feet, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me, the God who suffered for me. The one true God knows what it's like to be brokenhearted. The one true God is not remote. He's not unconcerned. He can relate to us in our isolation and in our pain. And it means the words he has spoken, this book, the Bible, is relevant and it speaks to us when we're in the darkest valleys of human experience. So the second thing we're going to see is this psalm urges the brokenhearted to turn to the Lord. That is the purpose of the psalm. Its purpose is simply this, to urge the brokenhearted to turn to the Lord. That is what David did in his distress. He called on the Lord. So you see in verse 4 he testifies, he says this, I sought the Lord. And he answered me. And in verse 6, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. You see, he's written this psalm to encourage us to do the same. And so he says to us in verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I remember one occasion when I went uh, on a business meal and my supplier took me to a restaurant and I had what I must now say is probably the most amazing starter I have ever tasted in my entire life. It was this incredible thing. It took me completely by surprise. I'll tell you a little bit about it. It had this lovely uh, bed of salad and on top of that were small little strips of black pudding. Yes, pig's blood. It doesn't sound very attractive, but it was complemented with these queen scallops. And it was this most amazing combination. I just reveled in it. It blew me away. So, uh, six months later, I'm doing a meal for some friends who, to whom I, who've been very kind to me. And I want to say thank you for them. And so, what do I think of doing for the starter? Of course, 
the black pudding and the queen of scallops on the bed of salad. And of course, to my mind, uh, more is more. And so I think I'll take the quantities and double them by a factor of eight. And so I serve up to them these bowls with this mountain of uh, shredded black pudding and queen scallops on this quite large bed of salad. And it's the first and only time I've ever seen grown adults with that look which you see on kids' faces when they have a meal in front of them which they don't want to eat. After 10 minutes, they were still picking at it and trying to hide parts of it in their serviette. You see, sometimes we have experiences of food where we taste and we think, this is so good, I want somebody else to share this experience with me. And we do everything possible to tell them about it and to enable them to share that experience. And in my case, I failed woefully. But the point is this. Taste and see that this is good. We have that urge within us. And that is what David is saying to each of us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That is the pitch of his psalm. Not of a recipe for an amazing starter, but of his own experience in dark times. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When he was in distress, he called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him. And so the question is this, uh, to whom or to what do we turn in times of hardship, in times of sorrow, when we are broken hearted? You see, again, the experience of David mirrored that experience of Jesus many years later. We read in the New Testament letter of Hebrews uh, this, Hebrews 5 verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him. He called out to his father. And this psalm is urging us to do the same. Like David, like Jesus, to turn to the Lord in our distress. To talk to him about it. To unburden our hearts to him, not to carry it on our own. To cry out to him for help. And to continue to do that. The experience of suffering turns some people away from God, but not always. Others experience God in a deeper and realer way in their suffering, and some, through their suffering, are drawn to a deeper experience of God. Uh, Eliza Weasel, uh, Ellie to his friends, uh, was a Romanian-born Jewish writer, professor, uh, political activist, and Nobel laureate, and also a Holocaust survivor. Uh, Eliza Weasel authored 57 books, including one which he entitled Night. His book Night uh, reflected on his experience as a Jewish prisoner in the Auschwitz concentration camp. And through the horrors of the concentration camp, uh, Weasel experienced what he would describe as a Loss of faith. Uh, quoting from that book, Night, he says this, Never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to dust. Uh, he also count, recounts watching the bodies of innocent Jews being consumed by the flames of the crematorium. 
including his mother and his sister. And he says that experience scarred him forever. Again, quoting from his book, he says this, Never shall I forget those flames which consumed my faith forever. And for Ellie Weasel, that experience of suffering drove him away from God. But we have other examples of where suffering drives people to a deeper experience of God. And of course, the story of those two Dutch Christian women, Betsy and her sister Corrie Tenboom, does stand in stark contrast to that of Ellie Weasel. Uh, Betsy and Corrie, of course, were in the Ravensbrook concentration camps. And theirs is an account of faith not dying, but shining in the darkness. Uh, even though every prisoner in the camp was searched uh, and had all personal items removed them, amazingly, Corrie wasn't. And she was able to smuggle into the camp her own Bible. And this Bible later became a beacon of hope. Uh, she later wrote this, and I quote, Whenever we were not in ranks for roll call, our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of help and hope. Like waifs clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered around this Bible, holding out our hearts to its warmth and to its light. And the blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burns the word of God. Uh, her sister Betsy, of course, was not to survive the camp. And just before she died, uh, she told Corrie this, and I quote again. She said this. We must tell the people what we have learned here. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corrie, because we have been there. Uh, because of a clerical error, uh, the Nazis released Corrie Ten Boom from Ravensbrook a week before everyone her age was murdered. And after the war was over, uh, Corrie set up a refuge for those affected by the war, uh, Germans and allies alike. And she also traveled to 60 countries in more than 30 years, proclaiming that exact same message that her sister Betsy exhorted her to do. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. You see, the Lord wants us to turn to him to pour our hearts out to him. When things go wrong in life, our instinctive reaction as human beings may be to do the exact opposite, to turn from him we may feel tempted to blame God and to feel bitter towards him for allowing such things to happen to us. And the problem with such a response is that it actually keeps us from turning to the one person who can actually help us. So finally, uh, this psalm assures us of the Lord's help and rescue if we do turn to him. What difference will it make if we do pray, if we do cry out to the Lord? Well, notice thirdly, the promise. This psalm assures us 
of the Lord's help and rescue if we do call on him. So in verse 4, David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. You see, it made a difference. Uh, It certainly wasn't the end of all David's hardships. Uh, His life was not trouble-free from that moment on, but knowing the Lord made a difference. It made a difference knowing the Lord was with him. His presence was with him. It says in, he says in verse 7, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Also in verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. We know, don't we, that at, at a time of loss, it helps to have somebody else walking closely with us, just to know that there is somebody there with us. And that is the reality the Lord offers us, to be with us at our side and to be close to us. I know that that was true for my mother while she was alive, after my father died very suddenly. Of course, thereafter in her life, there was a space which would never be filled and an ache which would never be relieved. And yet I saw that each day she would turn to the Lord and it didn't surgically remove the pain or stop the tears, but it gave her strength and comfort. And some people who saw this would say to my mum sometimes, I wish I had your faith. You see, the experience of the psalmist was my mother's. The Lord was close to the brokenhearted. And as David says in another psalm, even though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. And I know that many of you here can testify to that experience of being carried by the loving arms of the Lord through difficult times. But as well as promising help and strength, the psalm also promises rescue from our sorrows in terms which seem almost too good to be true. Look again at verse 17. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. At verse 19, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. We can see that this is hinting at when we look at how this psalm was fulfilled in the experience of Jesus. You see, his sufferings and sorrows came to a head in his death on the cross. But the Lord did indeed deliver him from all his troubles by raising him from death to life. You see, he wasn't delivered from death, but through death. And this ultimately is the hope this psalm holds out to those who call on the Lord. Not only does it strengthen us in our troubles now by his presence, it directs our gaze to an era when brokenheartedness 
will be a thing of the past. Revelation 21 verse 4 casts our eyes to that future day. Speaking of God, it says this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You see, that is the ultimate rescue which this psalm anticipates. So in conclusion, uh, we all face times when we feel brokenhearted, when we feel crushed in spirit, when we feel overwhelmed. And the Lord holds out to us through this psalm hope and strength. He invites us to call to him and to taste and see that he is good. What a blessing to have God's presence with us in the darkness. But there is an even deeper blessing which God gives us and can give us. Uh, he wants us to turn to him for help in our loss, but he also wants to turn to him for forgiveness of our sins. Uh, to put it crudely, we've been focusing this morning on the fact that the Bible scratches where we itch. Uh, when we face loss, we feel a very deep need for comfort and for help. And that is precisely what the Lord is holding out to us in his word if we will call on him. But at the same time, there is another need which we may or may not yet even feel. And it's the need for forgiveness of our sins. And that is an itch which some may not yet be aware of, but it is a deeper need the Lord makes us aware of as we reach out for him. To put it another way, the Bible speaks of two kinds of brokenheartedness. On the one hand, there is a sorrow because of our circumstances and suffering. But on the other, there is also a sorrow before God because of our sins and the wrong in our lives. And that is quite different. This second kind of brokenheartedness leads us to cry out to the Lord, not just for strength, but for salvation. Psalm 62, verse 1. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Do you see? It's that beautiful cry for forgiveness. A forgiveness which holds promise, not just for this life, but also for the life to come. It's the promise of resurrection from death to life in that kingdom when God will wipe every tear from our eyes. And so the encouragement of this psalm is indeed to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this psalm which reflects the reality of life. David's experience of being brokenhearted, of being forsaken, and yet finding in that dark time that as he calls out to you, you are with him and you sustain him. May we draw strength and encouragement from this. May we indeed turn to you and not from you in our darkness when we have times when we feel forsaken. May we not blame you or feel bitter against you, 
but may we turn to you and continue to trust you. And may we also then walk that path every day as people who also have that deeper blessing of being forgiven in you through Christ and knowing each day that we are one step closer to life in a world where there will be no more tears. Amen.